I'm a woman, I'm just getting myself situated. Thanks, Jen. Good morning, everyone. Greg spoke about being thirsty and drinking. I'm here to speak about being hungry and eating. In our home growing up, bread was very much a staple part of our diet. I had a creative mom, she didn't work with shopping lists. The food came and went somehow, but we would run out of toilet paper, we would run out of butter or margarine, but we hardly ever ran out of bread. I had three brothers, so I think she knew what would fill boys. I know in some countries, the staple diet is maize, or rice, but in our home it was bread. Some of my happiest childhood memories are around bread. I remember going with my mom to Checkers, and in those days, back when I was a kid, they had those bread slices. You know those machines, and you pop your bread in, and if you get the fresh bread, I think it was the cheapest, which is why that was what our family did. We got the fresh loaf of bread, and then I would get the job of slicing the bread. Mom would carry on shopping and I was slicing bread and I always stole the crust. You know that hot, fresh crust and you just munch it away. The other day we were talking about happy holiday memories with our family and our kids and our boys said one of their happiest holiday memories is fresh Chelsea buns from a little tea room that we used to buy them from at the beach. They were 20 rand and they fed our whole little family when the boys were little. Bread is very special to me. Bread was also a staple in so many of the, the communities where Jesus went and where he preached and when he taught. And when we read the Bible, bread comes up again and again and again, just like water Bread is everywhere. And when we read those stories, I believe that every time we get a glimpse of who God is, that he wants to provide for us, and that he has everything we need. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story that Peter mentioned yesterday evening, John chapter 6, and it's the story where Jesus feeds over 5,000 people with a little boy's lunchbox. Jesus is busy healing people and teaching people and this huge crowd gathers and Jesus says to his disciples, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answers him, he says it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to even have a bite. And then into the story arrives this little boy with his lunchbox of two fish and five loaves. Now, I would like to just take a moment to appreciate the mom who probably packed that lunchbox. I've been that mom. But this little boy arrives and he's brought his lunch, his two fish and his five loaves. And Andrew, one of the disciples, says to Jesus, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go with so many people? One of the reasons I love this story is because I've so often in my life looked at my lunchbox 
what God's put inside of me or what I've got in my hands and thought, how on earth will God ever possibly use me? And how on earth can God feed anybody with the gifts and the the things that he's put in my life? I've so often felt unsure of my abilities and my capacity. Now, you might be one of those people who was born front-footed and ready to go, and you're probably a little more like Greg than me, and good for you. If that's you and you're ready to go, I always said if I got sent to the army, I'd be the person who laid down and pretended to be dead (laughs) and just hoped that they didn't shoot me anyway because there's not a lot of go forward. I've always been a little more like unsure and reluctant. I have a brother who's two years older than me, and growing up with him, I think, was part of the reason that I was unsure and reluctant, because he just always seemed highly capable, and everywhere he went, people followed him, and his ideas were always the best, and I spent most of my childhood kind of either irritated with him, because he was so good at everything, and he made everything look so easy, or I was admiring him, because I just thought he was awesome. And then one day when I was in grade 11, I was part of, in our church we call it life groups, I don't know what you call it in your church, but it was a small group and I was in grade 11 and my life group leader said to me the one day, I think you should lead a life group. And she was in university, she was doing a great job and I couldn't believe that she thought that I could lead a life group. Like, had she seen what was in the lunchbox of my life? Had she seen that there were only two fish and five small loaves in my lunchbox and I didn't know if I, if I could do what she was suggesting and I'm so grateful to that life group leader for taking a chance on me because in leading a life group, I had so much fun. I found a whole new lease on life and I realized that with my little fish and loaves, God could do something. So this little boy who packed his lunch and went to this place where Jesus was and gave his lunch to Jesus so that Jesus could feed 5,000 people, he always will have a special place in my heart. And in verse 10, Jesus says, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. I love that. As much as they wanted. God's showing us something about himself. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 basketfuls with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over, by those who had eaten. Jesus was able to provide more than enough. I wonder what that little boy went home saying to his mom that evening. Please pack me another lunchbox. I'm going to wherever Jesus is tomorrow. Can you imagine the stories he told to his children and they told to theirs? What has God put in your lunchbox? And are we bringing our lunchbox every day and saying, Jesus, I don't have what it takes. And this is what I have. Won't you feed many people through my life? 
We can only bring what God has given us in the first place. We can only bring what's in our lunchbox. I can't bring what is in someone else's lunchbox. I remember at school, I had a friend and her mom bought Woolies bread. Oh, it was delicious. Her sandwiches always tasted better than my sandwiches. And every day she was kind enough to share her delicious Woolies sandwich with me. But that was her lunchbox. And when we come to God, we can bring what he's given us. And when we bring what he has put in our hands and we give it back to Jesus, that's when the miracles happen. Another story involving bread that blows me away every time I think about it is the story of the Israelites. They were slaves in Egypt. God brings them out of Egypt. He does so many miracles in getting them out of slavery. And then he's taking them to the promised land and they're going through the desert and they start to grumble against their leaders. Why? Because they're hungry. Anyone ever been so hungry that you start complaining and grumbling? Me. Exodus 16 verse 3 says, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Have you ever been so hungry that you've lost perspective? Me too. They had lost perspective. They are imagining slavery as sitting around pots of meat and eating whatever they wanted. They were hangry. And in their hunger, they had forgotten the goodness of God. They had forgotten the purpose of God. And they started complaining and grumbling. And then the Lord said to Moses, send them back to slavery. He didn't say that. I would have said that, I think. You go back to Egypt, you ungrateful lot. I have given you so much. I've brought you out of slavery. Go back if that's how you're going to behave. If you're going to grumble and complain, you go back. Thank goodness God doesn't treat us the way we deserve. God says... I will rain down bread from heaven for you. There's bread again. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the Omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone gathered just as much as they needed. Once again, the story points to the fact that God knows what we need, when we need it. And he is able to provide for every single need we have. Elizabeth Elliot has become one of my current, fa- current favorite missionary stories. And she was Jim Elliot's wife. Jim was killed by the people they were trying to reach. And she goes back to those same people. She's an incredible woman. And she tells the story of how as a little girl she knew God had called her. And she says this, 
God has promised to supply all our needs. What we don't have now, we don't need now. The Israelites experienced God's supernatural provision every single day with bread that fell from the sky. I believe that God is looking to us to daily depend on him for what we need. To not look elsewhere, to not look at our circumstances, at the people around us, but to look to him. I believe that we can wake up every morning expectant of God's provision. Expectant that he will sustain us, that he will give us everything that we need. And if we don't have what we think we need, it's because he believes we don't need it right now. We can trust him to provide for us. Numbers chapter 11 tells us that once again, the Israelites started to grumble and complain. They got bored of the manna. Now for us looking back, I mean how ungrateful. The heavenly bread that falls from heaven to them every single day that they go out and it's food for them to eat, they got bored of that. And yet I think there are times when we forget that everything we have is God's daily provision to us and we begin to complain and grumble. It says the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish, their perspective, it's growing again. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. The cost was slavery. They were slaves of the Egyptians, but they're remembering it differently and they've lost perspective. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. My husband always says, if when you start missing those things, you know you're in trouble. <laughs> they say, but now we have lost our appetites. We never see anything but manna. God's supernatural provision. We never see anything but manna. One of the things that I don't like about being an adult is all the information out there about how we're supposed to as adults, your metabolism slowing down, you're getting older, you're supposed to avoid. Supposedly. I mean, when did bread get so bad? Why are carbs such a terrible thing? It's really sad and it's really awful because I'm also the kind of person that when I read something, I can't get it out of my head. So I've tried, you know, then you, okay, I can't have that bread. I'm going to have carb clever bread. Next try. I've actually found some nice tasting stuff, but it was hard work to find good tasting carb clever bread or gluten free or sugar free or we can become so particular that we lose sight of the joy and that taste of fresh bread. Don't you, I mean, if you're doing carb-free, all that bread-free stuff, don't you miss? <laughs> don't you miss that taste of fresh, beautiful bread? To my poor nephews and children that are listening, you're welcome to eat that bread. I'm sure you're getting hungry. Sometimes I believe that our prayers, when we come before God and we look at our lives, our prayers can become fussy, particular, gluten-free, sugar-free, 
enjoyment-free kind of prayers, like, God, thank you for the bread. Thank you for the people that you've put in my life. But you know what? I prefer gluten-free. I don't know if this is working for me. Have you ever prayed the prayers? Like, God, if you could just change some of the people in my world, I'd be able to do what you've called me to do. If you could just give me better leaders, if you could just give me different friends, if you could change my husband, (laughs) or perhaps it's my parents or the family I was born in or the circumstances, the time. If you could just give me more time, God, I'd be so much more effective. I've sometimes prayed, God, if you just made me an extrovert, extroversion pastor's wife, that would work so well for me. And yet, still an introvert. It's like we start to pray prayers that could easily sound quite self-pitiful or like we're grumbling or complaining and we've forgotten that every day when we wake up, God's supernatural provision is there for us. The manna from heaven. Instead of praying those kinds of prayers, I believe that God wants to give us grateful hearts, that we can pray thankful prayers, that we can wake up expectant and say, God, show me the gold that you've put in the people around me. Show me what it is you're doing today, Father. I wanna get behind that instead of having a preconceived idea of what your provision looks like for me. I wanna work with you and do what you're doing. The final story that has become so meaningful to me in the last little while is the story of Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah has been doing the most incredible things and he is, he's basically single-handedly brought revival to the Israelite nation. The prophets of Baal have been sorted out, there's been fire from heaven and Elijah has has just come off a huge victory. And we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 19, and it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them, a death threat. Elijah was afraid. This very amazing, impressive prophet was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Ever prayed that prayer? Take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals. Bread again. What is God trying to show us through this story? and a jar of water because Greg was preaching first. He ate and drank 
and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Elijah is tired, he's discouraged, and he wants to give up. Where does he go? Where does he journey to? To the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then there's an earthquake, and the Lord's not in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? God repeats his question to Elijah, and Elijah repeats his answer. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. There's more to that story, but it's amazing to me that God tells him, go back the way you came. A friend of mine used to always say that when we go through difficult times and we hit seasons and we're frustrated and it's difficult and we feel like giving up, we either need to make a change or we need to grow. I believe that for Elijah, God didn't rescue him out of that situation. He gave him an opportunity, and it was always for more. A little while ago, we had our women's conference at church, and we have our women's conference every year, and it's been about seven or eight years that I've been running points on our women's conference, captaining the team, and every year, I feel a little bit like I explained earlier, where I look inside my lunchbox and I think, God, I know how much effort and energy it's going to take to run a women's conference. Are you sure this is something that you have for me, that you have for our church, that you have for our team? And every year in January, my family know, I share one of our family quiet times, God spoke to me today. I know that our women's conference is called Flourish. Flourish is part of my year. It's part of what God has for me this year. So in January this year, I felt God speak to me again. And about three weeks before our conference, I always have a little wobble. Steve and I, usually, as we're going to bed at night, we both go, what on earth are we doing? Like, what have we got ourselves in for? Our team are working so hard. We are trying our best to get ready and organized. There's so much to do. Yo, this is hard work. And 
I always know that it's going to be worth it. Because as you know, if you've done anything like organized and put yourself out there and followed God's, what God's saying to you, it's usually you get to the end of it and you go, oh, I'm so glad I had the courage to do this. I'm so glad I stepped out. And I'm so glad people were touched and lives were changed. And I usually have that feeling on the Saturday afternoon after our conference. The hard work is done and I'm just so thrilled at what God's done in people's hearts. And this particular year, Saturday afternoon came and I just felt so low. I just didn't have that same sense of, wow, that was worth it. I just couldn't get away from this feeling like, I'm, I'm broken. <laughs> and actually our conference was probably one of the best we've ever had. And I got a whole lot of messages from friends saying, that was amazing, God touched my heart, I brought a friend who got saved. So it wasn't like I had anything to pin my feelings on. I couldn't say, well, this went wrong and I'll fix it next year. And I think that's part of the problem because I like to fix things. I like to know how to make things right. But I just felt low. I felt a little bit like Elijah. God, I've had enough. You know, I've been doing my best. I've been zealous. I've been trying to lead. I've been out there with my lunchbox trusting you. And I can see that you've been feeding people, but I, I'm not sure. Maybe there's something about me that I'm like, I'm not the right fit for this, or I'm not the right mix, and I don't know, God, maybe the time is up, and I'm just, and those feelings stayed with me for longer than usual. I wasn't just tired. What I love about the story of Elijah is that God first feeds him, and he gives him a chance to rest, and then he speaks to him. It's like God knows how to help us with our physical needs, he knows that sometimes we just need to rest, and he knows that sometimes we need to eat. And then he helps him with his emotional needs. He asks him a question, and he listens to Elijah's answer. There's a safe space there for Elijah to express some of his feelings. And, and I had been talking to God about some of these feelings, and I just, our son is busy organizing a youth conference for December, and he was so excited. He had been desperately waiting for Flourish to be open to be done so that he could talk about the youth conference. And he came home so excited now. Flourish, mom, it's done. Shall we talk about the youth conference? I've got some ideas and I'm thinking, and I just, I had nothing. Absolutely nothing. I was just like, I don't want to lead another thing. I just want to run away. That was the feeling I had in my heart. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. But God is so incredibly kind in those moments. I went to church the one day, and a woman came up to me, and it might have been a coincidence, but I don't believe that. To me, she was an angel from the Lord. She said, I just, I was shopping. Now, I love shoppers. I was shopping, she said, and I saw something, and I really felt like I needed to give it to you. And it's this bag that I brought to show you, and it says flourish. Now, it might just be, as I said, a coincidence, but she didn't know how I was feeling. She didn't know the prayers I'd been praying. She didn't know that I'd been saying to God, are you sure Flourish is part of what I should be doing? Am I the right person for this job? Have I got what it takes? 
And you know what? We don't need to have what it takes. God was saying, now's not the time to give up. Now's the time to grow. And God sometimes changes our direction, and I'm, I'm fine with that. But I know in that moment, God was saying, Jax, you need to grow. Because this is very much part of what I'm doing in you at the moment. Elijah needed to go to the mountain of God to be in his presence, to hear God's voice and God's voice, God's word, his supernatural provision to us sustains us and gives us what we need to do what he's called us to do. Perhaps the most profound verse about bread is when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I really believe that through these stories and through all the stories of bread in the Bible, we get a glimpse of God as the provider, God who has everything and knows exactly what we need when we need it. The temptation is to look to ourselves, God, what? What do I need to change about me? Or, or what more can I be? Do I need to be more like this person or that person? That's not where we need to go. The temptation is to look to our circumstances. God, could you just change the things around me, the situation I find myself in? Then it'll be okay. God wants us to look to him, the bread of life. And that's where we'll find everything we could possibly ever need. And we will hunger no more. Thanks, Stan.